Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Why Climate Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Holloway. And as always, this episode is brought to you by the New Brunswick Lung Association. I am very happy to be welcome Elise Wilton to this episode, who also works for the New Brunswick Lung Association. Welcome, Elise. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, little inside baseball. This is actually our second recording. Something went terribly wrong. So we're extra good at this one now. I so, hope so. I hope so. Uh, so we'll dive right into our first question. Who are you and what do you do? So as you said, I am Elise Wilton and I also work at the New Brunswick Lung Association. Um, my role here is the manager of environmental and community health programs which is a fancy and long name, but what I'm doing right now, uh, that means that I am full-time, my full-time job is involved in our EV advocacy and educational programs. Amazing. So that sort of leads right into how did you start on your journey of being involved in electric vehicle advocacy work? Um, So my EV journey basically started when I started my job here at the New Brunswick Lung Association two years ago in the summer of 2020. Um, At that time, EVs were one part of of my job. The Lung Association has been involved with EV advocacy work, I think, since 2014. Um, So that, you know, we had ongoing projects that I jumped in on in 2020 to, to continue and then um, because of federal funding in January, I, you know, we, my other jobs went to another staff member. And since then, I've been doing that EV work full time. Yeah. And you've been very, very busy. Yes. So uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, we didn't the, recorded an error. Our offices are about 23 feet away from each other. So we, we are sort of a hive mind in the office sometimes. So that leads into why the New Brunswick Lung Association is interested in electric vehicles. At first glance, it doesn't seem to be a a thing, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. We definitely get a lot of confused faces when we show up at events and people are like, who are you? And we say we're the New Brunswick Lung Association. Um, But basically, it comes down to clean air. Um, The Lung Association is highly invested in having good air quality. Um, and so that means that we are invested in having fewer gas powered vehicles on the road because gas powered vehicles, the tailpipe emissions are pretty detrimental to air quality and, um, and detrimental to lung health. Then, um, Mm. it is, it is, it contributes to people with asthma and other lung difficulties having a hard time breathing. Um, and that is, that's something that we want to to lower something that we want to eliminate. Okay. So why EVs? What are the benefits from a health standpoint of EV adoption? So again, the uh, tailpipe emissions have um, contribute to poor, to poor lung health. And so the, the health benefits involve um, people with asthma, improving their their lives, um, people with other lung disease improving their life experiences. Um, there's benefit to to all Canadians to having better air quality. Um, tailpipe emissions, high levels of tailpipe emissions also like increase the chances in children that they will develop asthma even from the start. Um, mm. And we also have a long game approach in, uh, related to um, 
to the environment as well related to climate change, that the greenhouse gases from tailpipe emissions, of course, are contributing to climate change. Um, and climate change has a few different effects um, that ultimately will deteriorate lung health. One of those being the increased heat and humidity that we're already experiencing, um, and that's just going to get worse, that people uh, with asthma and existing lung conditions like COPD and lung cancer um, find it particularly hard to breathe in those, in those situations with high humidity and high heat. Um, probably most people, uh, most Canadians have noticed if uh, when the humidity is extra high that it is more difficult to breathe, even if you don't have a pre-existing lung condition. Um, I know I have noticed that. Um, and so it's even worse for, for people with those lung conditions. And then the climate change also means that like the pollen season is, is going to extend and be, and be longer. Um, and uh, again, of course, pollen is something that irritates people's lungs. Um, and so these are all, all health impacts that we want to engage with. Um, we want people to choose an electric vehicle for their next electric vehicle over a gas powered vehicle um, so that so that we can improve air quality. Yeah, it's that sort of knock on effect. You can't really be healthy if the planet itself isn't healthy and it sort of knocks on down through. And then, <laughs> as you mentioned, like people like myself, I, I haven't been allergic to pollen or been bothered by it. But the last three years, I'm like, what is this nightmare fuel that is pollen season now? Where I'm like, am I just sick? Nope, it's pollen and yeah. it was never an issue for me and I'm almost 40 so it's been a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is just mind-blowing how it all that heat dome effect will really get to us right. so that kind of then feeds into how have you been engaging with people about electric vehicles so we have a few different avenues that we're engaging with people um, we have kind of a simple and continuous method which is our social media platforms and our web site, which are all Drive Electric Atlantic. Um, and the, then we have the events where we get to meet people in person with electric vehicles on hand so that they can see them and get in them and even drive them. We have many test drive uh, events happening that, that, we are, uh, that we are organizing ourselves or that we're attending um, across Atlantic Canada. And we've really seen that people who can actually get in the car, especially, um, that that's a huge benefit to people understanding electric vehicles and helping, helping them understand um, that it's possible to drive an electric vehicle around Atlantic Canada. It's possible for it to be your primary vehicle. You know, that the, the issues uh, that they may have heard don't, don't stand up um, as much as they would think. And we've had the benefit to have some electric vehicle owners come out to these events. Um, and it's really great to when people have kind of real life practical concerns, you know, I have some of these answers and our other staff have some of these answers, but when we can point them to somebody who's owned an electric vehicle for eight years in New Brunswick or in another Atlantic province, that goes a long way to dispelling any concerns, dispelling any fears, you know, they would have an answer to any question. Yeah. And, and all that information will be in the show notes. And you've done a really great job of sort of tendering your online presence as well, sort of alleviating those questions almost in advance or sort of thinking of mm -hmm. 
solutions people require when making that jump. And I've been lucky enough to help you at a few events. And I always sort of talk to people about like, we have the benefit of living in 2022 and the sort of how gas vehicles work and operate has basically been smoothed out. But if we were to jump back a hundred years, it was not a smooth transition from the horse and buggy to the, to the gas powered car. And Mm. this is sort of what EV is doing is it's learning on the fly and it's, it's not as complex as the gas necessarily, but it's still one of those things where you have a lot of questions and you've done a really great job of sort of alleviating that, Mm. which, which kind of slides into our next question, which is the one thing I think everyone who will be listening to this thinks about when they think electric cars, which is the term EV anxiety. It's a Mm. thing, but should it be actually? Right. Yes. The, the range anxiety that people have around, around electric vehicles and how far they can go. So I think um, for one thing, the new, the newer models every year have basically have an increased range. Um, So the electric Kona that, uh, that our office has, has 400 kilometers of range on it. My personal gas powered hatchback has 300 kilometers of range um and like i don't ever think about that of course then the other issue is that you know gas stations are more you know there's more of them than there are um than charging stations which is true Um, um that is changing you know there's more there's more charging stations being installed basically every week in canada um, which is really exciting to see, um, but it's so doable. It's different. Like um, planning a road trip specifically would be different right now because the charging times are, the stops are longer than you would stop for a gas stop. That's mm-hmm. just true right now. Um, again, that is also changing. Um, I think that will not be the case in a few years. Some cars on the market and some chargers going out further west, not not so much in Atlanta, Canada yet, but they're really fast. They're like charging under, you know, under 20 minutes for a full charge. Right now, some some stops, if you're going on a road trip, it'll be, uh, you know, as long as an hour and 15 minutes, but that's the longest. Most stops will be shorter than that. And what I think people seem to forget is that if you're not going on a road trip, most people are driving under 50 kilometers a day and that's so doable. And you're going to charge, you're probably going to plug your car in at your home at night. And that means you're leaving your home every morning with a full, full tank, I guess. And, um, and it is more than enough to go about your daily life, to work, to school, to run kids around, to whatever you're doing. There's more than enough to go about your regular daily life. Uh, it's when road trips come into it that it's different, but it's still so doable. Mm, that's you're, you're nailing it on the head. I actually, a neighbor of ours just bought their first electric car and he's a few years older than I am. And this will probably date myself a little bit. And I don't know if at least you remember this, but when rechargeable mm. batteries first came out on the market, they used to have this thing where you could pinch the sides and it would kind of glow based on how much charge is left. So you'd have a little green bar fill up. And his comment is, that's all I want. He's, he's incredibly happy with it. He just wants something very catchy to be like, look, my car's at this and I can press two buttons. And I think it's more reliving the nineties than anything, but 
as you say, it, it's, I, I drive 20 kilometers, if that a day, I, you know what I mean? I've had mm-hmm. a tank of gas for admittedly in my golf for almost two weeks now, and it's not even halfway gone. It's, right. it's that perception I think people have of how much they think they drive versus the reality of how far they actually drive. Yeah. People want the like safety net of like what in, you know, just in case, just in case, yeah. just in case, just in case, which is, which is fine. I understand that people have that concern. And so it's not for all people right now, but in those just in case scenarios, you know, for one thing, if you're a two vehicle household, you know, maybe your, your just in case vehicle is a gas powered vehicle and you have one gas powered vehicle in case you need to go on a fast and long road trip at a drop of a hat. And then yep. you have an electric powered vehicle to do your around town driving or slow leisurely road trips. Um, or, you know, people, you could rent a gas powered vehicle for a road trip. If, if you're worried about the timeline, and that is, you know, because of the savings in electric vehicles in the fuel, you know, that is probably more cost effective than keeping a gas powered vehicle than buying a new gas powered vehicle to, to sustain you through your, just your town driving. Yeah. My, my neighbor had, I think the most astute sort of not, you know, where we're, it's part of our jobs and a part of your job. And right. he said he sort of equated it to owning a truck. So like I mountain bike and I ski mm-hmm. and the concept of having a truck to like haul that stuff around in my head is always like, yes, but that's not most of my life. Right. So everyone right. wants a truck to pick up the stuff they need to have that truck, but 99% of the time you don't really need the truck. And that's kind of the same for electric cars, right? Yeah. There's mm-hmm. that one oddball 1% of the time you're like, okay, this requires a bit more planning or whatever, but the rest of your life, you, there's no no change. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I like that comparison. Uh, if not only because there's, you know, way too many trucks in the world. There are as, a lot of trucks in New Brunswick. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. as people who are like engaged in this fuel efficiency world, basically, yeah. uh, trucks are at the very bottom of that fuel yeah. efficient list. The F-150 commuter vehicle still doesn't make any sense to me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so this actually leads into sort of your big, let's call it, Elisa's road trip. You yes. went to Newfoundland with a, a fleet of electric vehicles this summer. So you drove from Fredericton all the way to St. John's, Newfoundland. Tell me about it. Yes. Yeah. So it was, I think, like 3,200 kilometers round trip. Um, and we did it in pretty short order. Um, we took two electric vehicles side by side. So they were, you know, kind of always competing for chargers. Um, <laughs> But we managed to, to kind of, there's enough chargers that basically we could take every other one. So we never really ran into each other, um, Mm. which was really great. Um, Yeah. So we took um, these two cars. We took the electric Kona and the Tesla Model 3, the standard range plus, um, which both have like about 400 kilometers. The Tesla has like 360, 370, I think um of range um so we did one day from Fredericton to the ferry um in in northern Nova Scotia in Sydney and then the next day we took the ferry to Newfoundland we arrived in Port of Basque and um and we drove a little bit into 
into Newfoundland after the ferry. And then we drove all the way across the next day. Um, but the biggest, I would say, so the biggest day um, we drove all the way across the whole province of Newfoundland on the way back. Um, and we actually had three EVs running um, like together that day um, mm. because our partner um, CAA also brought their Tesla and it came day it went to Newfoundland before us so we didn't compete at that time but on the day on the way back um, it drove you know it came on the same ferry as us so so we had three EVs running together across this province competing for chargers uh, amongst ourselves and amongst other people with EVs on the island and like I went so well I have so few comments about that whole experience it went extremely well you know we planned it a little bit um that day um uh going across the whole the whole province we planned it so that we started at three different stops in the in the morning and the hopes that it would stagger us enough to kind of mean that we wouldn't end up blocking each other at any of the stops and that mostly worked we um you know they there was a little bit of wait time at a few chargers, um, but it was really, really easy. And now those charging times, you know, we charged, uh, I think like three to four times across the province. Like one of those was close to an hour mm-hmm. and the other ones were more like 30 minutes. Um, and that's not very long, like 25, 30 minutes isn't super long to stay at a stop. You know, we like went to the bathroom, stretched our legs, got some snacks. Um, You know, we were working. So I checked my work emails and that sort of thing, posted updates about our trip on social media. But it, I had such a positive experience. And I think because we knew what we were getting into, we did some pre-planning on Mm. um, a few different, a few different apps and that helped us, you know, there's PlugShare and there's a better route planner. We have information about this on a blog on our website. Um, it should be up by the time that this, this podcast goes live. Um, with the pre-planning and the knowledge of like about how much time the charging should add. And, you know, we accounted for some time of wait time at charging stops in case that happened. Um, especially when we, we needed to get on the ferry at a specific time. We started early enough in the day that, uh, you know, would give us some wiggle room in case we had to wait at charge stops. Yeah, you can't um, miss that boat. That, that Newfoundland exactly. fair will wait we for no really, one. <laughs> we really did not want to miss that boat. Um, <laughs> so, so we gave ourselves lots of wiggle room. Like the app told us with charging time to go all the way across Newfoundland would take 12 hours and 20 minutes. That's like the drive time and the charging time, like basically if things go smoothly. Mm. Um, and so I think we left like 14 hours before we needed to get onto the ferry. So we gave ourselves an extra hour and a half um, in case we needed to wait at stops, you know, especially where we knew there were going to be three of us driving across together. Um, That just seemed prudent. (laughs) Um, And it was, that was good. That was a good amount of time. Um, One of the cars got there basically in 12 and a half hours, maybe just over 12 and a half hours. And then um, the next car got there at like 13 and a half ish hours. Um, no, the next two got there both at the same time at, at what, 13 and a half hours. Um, but it was, I think the planning 
basically knowing what to expect made it so that like there was no issues. I was never stressed. I was never concerned. I was never impatient. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the knowing what to expect, having our route basically planned out. We planned out which stops the cars were going to take. And we didn't always like keep super strict to those rules based on how things were actually going. And, you know, if there was a wait time at some of the chargers, but having the plan ahead of time made it so simple. And it really, um, you know, we weren't in a rush as well. So I think it was really, it was a really great experience. Um, And it's so, (laughs) it's a really, it's a benefit for stuff like this and to talk to people at the events to have this experience. Cause that's, like the, the range anxiety, the like, how, if I, can I go to Toronto and how do I do that? And yeah. what does that mean? And like, okay, so I haven't been to Toronto in an EV, but I've been to St. John's Newfoundland and it went pretty well. Um, so it's really great to, to have that experience to talk about it. And it was, I really enjoyed it. I've never been to Newfoundland before, so it was beautiful. And um, we had like sunshine and hot weather the whole time. That is not how we packed, um, <laughs> but it was beautiful. And we had some comments about uh, bringing the nice weather with us. So that was nice. Um, yeah, it's, very, it's a realistic, practical story around owning mm-hmm. and using an electric vehicle other than just sort of like facts on a piece of paper. You know what I mean? Like it, yes, it gives, exactly. it's, it's people react to genuine stories about this when you're like, no, I did this. And it wasn't too, too bad. And, yeah. and you can almost see in the future, like um, I'm planning my vacation. There's a very famous road called the road to Hana and it's globally known. It's, it's kind of like uh, the Rockies for Canada. It's just a famous stretch of high road mm-hmm. in uh, Maui. And they're literally putting EV stations on the road at critical stops. So people who are stopping to see a waterfall anyways, have an opportunity just to plug their car because it gets mm. very remote very quickly, but they want people to not have that sort of EV anxiety. And you almost see like, that's the future of all this. Like if you're driving to Newfoundland, they'll be like you're stopping at this beautiful uh, overlook or in the Cape Breton yeah. Highlands and you want to stop and look at it, the, they'll put some there. So you're already stopping. You might as well just charge, you know, top up your vehicle or whatever that looks like, right? You got 30 minutes because you're looking at the beautiful view. Here you go. Same with like Fundy. Oh, you're here at Fundy National Park looking, hiking a waterfall. Charge your car too. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think those are really some ideal spots. It's like scenic views or, you know, those like shopping centers. There's so many great places where charging an electric vehicle becomes so uh, convenient, really. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of leads into the my second to last serious question for you. What is the one thing you wish the public knew about electric vehicles that they currently don't know or really don't understand? I guess it comes back to like that I wish people understood for most people like that an electric vehicle will work for your everyday life. Yeah. Like I don't think people get that or a lot of people don't. They don't quite believe it. Um, and it's, it is not true for everybody that it it works for like your, it's not as convenient for their everyday life, but for most people, it actually adds convenience to your everyday life because you never have to stop at a gas station, right? You just have to plug in at home and you'll never be, you'll never be empty doing your everyday life. I think it's going to be wild in say like 10 years from now, we'll be sort of 
taking your dog cat for a walk or whatever you know <laughs> 10 years we're walking foxes whatever that looks like and you'll just see like cars plugged into homes you know what I mean like it will just be one of those mm -hmm. like Star Trek is coming sort of moments in my head yes yeah that's so interesting to think about I am very interested to see what the EV world looks like in in yeah in any amount of years because I think so many things are changing so quickly um and and it, it is so interesting to see how the like the charging infrastructure versus the the increase in EVs goes and you know how does the the production of EV vehicles adapt to the huge demand right now and like how how like when will that even out the supply and demand issues I think it's gonna be so gonna be so interesting so it like things could change drastically I think it's so interesting to see what it will look like in five yeah, you to get the feeling years. it's gonna be one of those hyperbolic curves where like I was reading BMW which owns Volkswagen and mm. like, a third of the cars in the world um <laughs> they're working on basically solar panel paint right now so as the cars are painted they will be able to get a small recharge off of just driving around kind of like regenerative braking but for paint and you're just right. like it seems so future but you know it's going to be coming down the pipeline faster than we probably think it will be right yeah like like the the adaptions the adaptions in in the technology already are 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 happening so fast the increase in like charging capacity how quickly it can happen now compared to like four years ago it's a crazy increase Mm -hmm. And then even, you know, you know, I said the Kona has 400 kilometers of range, but like the, the Hyundai Ionic 6 has over 600 kilometers of range. And there's some, some, you know, really fancy luxury vehicles that are announced to be on the market in the next couple of years that have over a thousand kilometers of range. And so like, this is, it's just going to change so much. Like the, the conversation about range anxiety is not going to exist in, yeah. in five or 10 years because they'll be, you know, a thousand kilometers of range and the charging times will be, you know, under 15 minutes and all that kind of stuff. And there'll be stations much more in many more places than they are now. And that like the concept of a vehicle going a thousand kilometers between whatever's fuel source is just mind blowing. Cause you think of, when yeah. smart cars first came out, they would be like, this can go 650 kilometers on a tank of gas on a lawnmower engine, but still like, yeah. and you're talking a thousand kilometers. So for us, that's basically Halifax and back and not having to think about anything. You just drive. Yeah. Like that's insane for any, any car. Like that's, yeah. that's a significant for sure. So then my last serious question today, what is the one question you wished I asked during this interview that I didn't? And how would you respond? Hmm. Um, I think there's something that I mentioned in our first recording that I didn't mention <laughs> in this one that I'll that I'll talk about just for a second. Sure. And that's just that, um, you know, in the conversation about having fewer gas powered vehicles on the road to have a better air quality, you know, electric vehicles are part of that equation. They're one of the ways that we get to the solution. Um, mm but they're not the only way. Um, and for one thing, we don't want people, you know, just ditching really nice gas powered cars either. Like think about 
when, when you would next purchase a vehicle and consider that one to be electric. Um, but we're also, you know, part of the solution to clean air is, is using public transit and having, you know, good public transit um, that, that supports the community. And then other things, everything that falls under active transportation, like biking and walking and scootering, you know, all the e-scooters that are around today. Um, those are those are other really important parts of the equation. And like if you're if you're zooming way out, you know, those like biking and e-scooters, that sort of thing is is like those are the best solutions for for better air quality and for better human health, which of course overall that's what the New Brunswick Lung Association is invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are those are things that that we're uh, engaged in as well and that we want to continue to promote. We're not we're not saying electric vehicles are you know a silver bullet solution. We get comments like that occasionally and we totally agree that they're you know not the be all end all. They are the alternative. You know, if you're going to have a personal vehicle, um, we want that to be electric in the future. Um, yeah, it, it's the, there isn't, as you say, a silver bullet to solve the climate crisis. It's a lot of little things that will add up to a big thing, I think, is the way. And this is one of those bigger pieces of the pie, but it's still part of a larger pie. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I always talk about it with people. I'm like, yes, we eat electric cars are one, but there's also other things we have to tackle, but it it's all boils down to sort of protecting our lung and our lung health. And that's our focus on this part of the pie. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, and every podcast I'm ever involved in with one fun <laughs> question, it used to be favorite food. So I decided to switch it up for this series. So it's going to be, if you could live anywhere in the world, doesn't matter how much it costs to live there. Doesn't matter any factor other than just like, I want to be there. Where would it be and why? Uh, you asked me this a few weeks ago um, to prepare me and I still am unsure. So I think, I mean, I have to pick somewhere that I've been before because um, in my brain that, you know, I, <laughs> even if you don't know what the other places are like, <laughs> exactly. Like Greece looks gorgeous. So maybe I would pick that if I'd been there, but yeah. I, don't know what I actually think of that. So um, basically somewhere warm. Um, I think, okay, Andrew, I think I told you, I told you a different answer last time, but I'm going to switch it up. Um, I think I would want to live in Southern France. Ooh, good yes. call. You're yes, in the same boat there. as my sister. Oh yeah. Yeah. I went there yep. the, the summer before the pandemic, you know, summer of 2019. And it, it was just beautiful. It was, it was warm and gorgeous and like lots of, lots of that active transportation stuff, you know, lots of walking and biking. Are we talking like the deep South of France, like Monaco, or are we going slightly above there? I was, I was like a few hours away from Spain. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, yeah, that is a beautiful part of France. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It was on, it was basically on the coast. We drove to the coast one day. So yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, oh, now I want to go back to France. It's I haven't been there in quite <laughs> like 15 years. So <laughs> everybody Amazing. should say France for this yeah. answer. No, um, no, it was, 
yeah so that's my answer i think start with the france and then it's so close to so many other lovely things and you know the the train system in europe is lovely to get to you know you could go to northern europe oh, be nice it is so elegant the train like Mm. it's the one thing we don't really have in canada but it, it literally is yeah. like i'm in london i'm gonna take a train to most of europe you know yeah. you have to jump a few trains but you can do it yeah yeah well with that ending our train talk slash electric <laughs> vehicles uh i want to have a big thank you to elise for joining me today um i mean i basically walked over to her office and said hey elise you want to do this <laughs> and as i mentioned earlier all the sort of links and information around her ev programming will be in the show notes so you can follow her there and i would just have a big request that anyone who listens to this please like and subscribe it helps get more people out to listen to the podcast and thank you again elise you're so welcome thanks for having me bye now <laughs>